online as well. We will be in Luke 16 this morning, and as always, because we need it, always uh, we need to start with prayer. And so, Ed, would you lead us, please? Okay, so last week, all of Luke 15 is uh, three parables, the lost sheep, the lost coin, and the prodigal son. What do you remember about those parables? Okay, that was in stereo, so I need one at a time. <laughs> so, Ed, why don't you go ahead first, and then Paul will thank you. Come. They were aimed at the Pharisees and the teachers of the law. Well, why, why were they aimed there? Because uh, it, was, it was to bring, Pharisees should be looking to bring people to him by uh, their actions. Okay, okay. Paul, want to add to that? Uh, there's great rejoicing when there's lost souls that are found. Okay, and were the Pharisees rejoicing? They were not. What were they doing? Okay, okay. So, anything else you want to remember about the triple parable? It's basically a parable with three parts, but it's the same point every time. Okay. Well, let's go ahead and start Luke 16, then. Would somebody read the first three verses? Luke 16. He also said to his disciples, There was a certain rich man who had a steward, and an accusation was brought to him that this man was wasting his goods. So he called him and said to him, What is this I hear about you? Give an account of your stewardship, for you can no longer be steward. Then the steward said within himself, What shall I do, for my master is taking the stewardship away from me? I cannot dig. I am ashamed to beg. Okay, thank you. So what's a steward? Maybe you have the word manager. What's a... Steward. He was like a, an accountant for some guy with a large estate. Okay. Okay, good. So you could just say someone entrusted to care for or manage what belongs to someone else. So this stuff wasn't his, it belonged to this rich person. Okay. And do you remember from 1 Corinthians 4, 2, what's the minimum job requirement to be a steward? If you're filling out a job application for the position of steward, what's like the minimum requirements that you would read in the posting? 1 Corinthians 4, 2 says, it is required of a steward to be found faithful, faithful right? If you're handling somebody else's stuff, <laughs> you need to be honest. You need to have a reputation for integrity. You can't just be playing fast and loose with other people's stuff. Okay, so why is this particular steward losing his job? Because he's playing fast and loose. Okay. <laughs> you, my version says squandering. Jeremy, what did you say? Uh, wasting. 
wasting. Okay, so he's not doing a good job of taking care of his um, boss's assets. So what options does he consider? Because he knows he's going to get canned. What <laughs> options does he consider, and why does he rule them out? Okay, <laughs> why doesn't he want to work? He's not strong enough. Not strong enough to dig, and then why doesn't he want to beg? Shameful. Shameful, okay. Maybe you could just live on government checks for a while. <laughs> so, he comes up with a plan. Would somebody read 4 through 7? So this is the original version of cooking the books. And uh, what's the, the gist of his plan? What, what is he doing by doing this? Making friends. Okay. And why does he need to make friends at this point? He's going to need a place to go. Okay. Okay. So what else can we add to that? You're right. In a more general way, what, would, what could you say? rather than be indebted to him than to his master. Okay, that could work. It also looks like he's doing something. Okay, he's doing something. We're getting really warm here. Um, I would say he's using opportunities that he has in a short window of time to prepare for future contingencies. Okay, once, once he's not working there, what's the... Boss actually says, it's, you can leave now. Here's your box of stuff that security will escort you out with. Then he has no more recourse to try to do something like this. So there's this little window of, I could make, take advantage of the opportunities I have in this position for a short time to look out for myself down the road. Because I am going to need some friends. I am going to need a place to crash. I am going to need some favors to call in. And so this is a way to do it. Okay, and the, you know Jesus isn't saying anything about the the pros and cons of that. Okay, so he just says this is what the guy does. So any questions so far on this unjust stewards? That's what his name is often called, the unrighteous stewards plan. Sound like a good plan? Okay, well. <laughs> The, the master has a comment for him. So let's read 16.8. The master commended the dishonest manager for his shrewdness. For the sons of this world are more shrewd in dealing with their own generation than the sons of light. Okay, so not commending him for his ethics. He's the unjust or unrighteous manager. But what is he commending him for? Okay, what is shrewdness? 
When Jesus says, be as wise or as shrewd as serpents, what is he saying? What does it mean to be shrewd? Having discernment to see an opportunity and to take advantage of it. Okay, good, good. So if you look at it in the dictionary, maybe you were Googling while I was asking. Um, marked by clever, discerning awareness. Acute in perception and astute in judgment. Matthew Henry says, improving a present opportunity to provide for a future necessity. That's Just remember that part. Improving a present opportunity to provide for a future necessity. Necessity. So why does Jesus say the sons of this age, who's that? Who are the sons of this age? Pardon me? The people he was talking to at the time and probably us. Maybe the unsaved. Okay, I would say unsaved, the people of the world, because he contrasts it with whom? Sons of light. So he's making a contrast. It says, this, people of this world, the people that are just living for this world, do better at being shrewd than the people that are following me. So why would he say something like that? There's wisdom in what they're doing, in a sense. Okay. Just not with the same kingdom perspective. Okay, good. What else would I add to that? Why are the sons of this age more shrewd than disciples of Jesus? Okay, I'll give an example. This is courtesy of Louis Giglio. Um, how many of you ever heard of Coca-Cola? Thought so. <laughs> Just about everybody in the world has heard of Coca-Cola. Um, they are in 200 countries. How did that happen? Because they had a dream that they would put a bottle of Coke in the hand of every single person on the planet. That was their mission statement. So what did they have to do for that to happen? I mean, anybody can put that on paper. What, what kind of stuff do you have to do to get a bottle of Coke into billions of people's hands? You got a truck it somewhere. You got okay. Let's go. <laughs> have a shout out for the trucking business. All right. Market. Market. Okay. Make people want it. Make people want it. Good. What else is involved? You get a catchy jingle. Jingle. Yeah, they've had plenty of jingles. You got to negotiate with foreign countries and getting their product in there. Okay. Right. Yeah. How about things like willing to travel, willing to take risks. Willing to endure unpleasant climates, um, investing a ton of money, um, all to reach the world with carbonated sugar water. <laughs> and that's all it is. Carbonated sugar water. But people have literally risked their lives to go to some tropical island in Borneo <laughs> and risk malaria and whatever else you could get in a nasty climate because they want to sell a bottle of Coke to these people. Okay? So I think what Jesus at least raises the question is, are the sons of light as creative and resourceful and shrewd and willing to take risks 
for example, in getting the gospel to, out to the world? I think that's a fair question. That's an argument William Carey used in the 1700s to launch the modern mission movement, is the East India Company risks their lives literally to get on ships and go to India to get tea and bring it back. How come we're not willing to go to India to bring the gospel? What, what's wrong with that picture? The sons of this world are doing are more shrewd, different kingdom values. <laughs> they're looking at the kingdom of this world, but they're they're all out, all about it. And how much more should we, who have something much more valuable than tea or carbonated sugar water, be thinking at least and acting um, to reach others? So, any comments or questions? That's not a guilt trip. That's just Jesus saying a reality. The sons of this world are pretty sharp, attaining their own goals, and my disciples could, could grow and learn something from them. Is that fair? <coughs> Shout out to India over there, by the way. <laughs> okay. So verse 9. Let's reread verse 9. So what does that mean? What would that look like? Use your earthly means to bear eternal fruit. Okay, good. Very good. So what, what might that look like? How about when you get to heaven, there's some people there welcoming you <coughs> whose mothers kept them or gave them up for adoption because you gave to her help. That would work. Or there's members of an unreached people group you've never heard of uh, welcome you because you gave to support a missionary that was working with that tribe. You know, th those kind of things, that there's this welcoming committee in heaven, so to speak, because you invested your money in things that last, what does that remind you of? Luke 12. Okay, what does that say? Store up for yourself treasures in heaven. Okay, so treasures in heaven, not just the stuff that wears out and rusts out and gets stolen on earth. There's a treasure in heaven, including a welcoming committee, because you invested it shrewdly for the kingdom and not just spend it on yourself. Does that make sense? Okay, so here's a story I think. Um, we had a, a dear brother, some of you remember Joe Ewing. He was from Mississippi, still talked like he was from Mississippi. And he didn't like this story because it was about the War of Northern Aggression. But um, I'm going to take a risk and, and just choose not to be offended if you are a sympathizer with that cause. Um, so this is Randy Alcorn. Imagine you're alive at the end of the Civil War. You're living in the South, but you are a Northerner. You plan to move home, home as soon as the war is over. While in the South, you've accumulated lots of Confederate currency. Now suppose you know for a fact that the North is going to win the war, 
and the end is soon. What will you do with your Confederate money? So I'll just push pause there. What would you do? You've got all this Confederate money. You know the war's going to end. What would you do with it? Buy a bunch of stuff you could take to the north. Okay. Okay, good. Good. Or his way of answering is if you're smart, there's only one answer. You should immediately cash in your Confederate currency for U.S. currency, the only money that will have value once the war is over. Keep only enough Confederate currency to meet your short-term needs. As a Christian, you have inside knowledge of an eventual worldwide upheaval caused by Christ's return. This is the ultimate insider trading tip. Earth's currency will become worthless when Christ returns or when you die, whichever comes first. I just think that is a great story. You know, and if you don't like the Civil War version, you could think you're living in Germany, you've got a bunch of marks, you know that's going to be worthless when the war is over, you invested in something that's going to last. But whichever war you want to pick, the illustration works of this life is temporary, this money we have is like monopoly money, <laughs> it, it's useful now, but eventually it will be absolutely worthless. So Jesus is saying in Luke 12 about investing in treasures in heaven and in this story, make it count. Think long term. I mean, investment guys, I mean, not that I have an investment guy, but <laughs> because I've read Randy Alcorn, <laughs> they say don't think short term, think long term. And they usually mean out several years. Don't just look at the stock market today. Think long-term, it usually goes up. And Randy Elkhorn says, yeah, think long-term, like 300 million years from now. And again, we just don't think in those categories usually. We're just thinking, okay, I've got to get the kids through college, or I've got to pay for this, or whatever. And that's okay. But if we're sons of light, we need to be more strategic than just what everybody else does with their stuff. Does that make sense? Everybody feeling guilty yet? That's not my goal. That's not Jesus' goal. He's just saying, learn. Learn from the sons of this age. They're pretty sharp about how they invest their money to get short-term gains. Be sharp about long-term gains, like eternal gains. Eternal investments. People welcome you when you get to the gates of heaven. So any comments, thoughts, what would that look like? Can I ask a question? Um, I wonder if Ruth is really onto something. Because look, if, if you look at verse 9, she talked about making friends. Mm -hmm. Verse 9 kind of picks up on that, too. Okay, good. Good observation. So how do you make friends with money? That sounds like using people, doesn't it? When it says unrighteous wealth, which is what my version says, it just means money. Mm -hmm. right? yeah. yeah, not money you've acquired in unrighteous way. Like you right. played the lotto or right. you know robbed a bank. That doesn't. I mean, he just. <laughs> um, is it King James? Either here or somewhere else calls it filthy lucre. <laughs> and I just basically again, it's just a value statement by Jesus of ultimately that's all it is. It's like. 
money you've been playing Monopoly with a lot and the kids have chocolate all over it. It's, it's dirty. It's filthy. It's unrighteous. It's, it's not going to last. So what were you going to say, Russ? I didn't mean to cut you off. No, I was just asking the, the unrighteous wealth. Yeah, just, just plain old money. Just money. Yep. Good. But how, how do you make friends with money? What does that mean? Sounds like exploiting or... What, Mark? Uh, very minor point. Uh, the other day, a friend of ours we were talking with, and she said uh, she was having trouble finding gloves. I pulled my gloves out and gave them to her. Okay, that worked. Uh, nothing special to me, but it meant a lot to her. Hmm. Um, so I'm building friendships. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. It didn't hurt me at all. I was more happy to do it. Cool. Okay, Tanya? Well, if you the people who are your friends where unrighteous wealth is their focus then they have an idol that isn't God hmm. so therefore if we're going out into the world to truly love people with the gospel that we've been given we would hope that these friends would come to know Christ and right. that their wealth would be treasured and put into Jesus so, and then in that I thought you were actually going to share something else, but you're too modest to do it. And that is, um, Lane and Tanya had basically the entire basketball team from West High School <laughs> to their house for dinner, which costs unrighteous mammon to pay for. Um, they didn't get donations from Hy-Vee to do it for free. They, that came out of their check, checking account or whatever, however you do your money. Um, <laughs> old school checking account. Um, <laughs> You know, so but why did they do that? Because they they were trying to build some bridges and relationships with those teammates and coaches and trainers because there's a an end game, not game, but end goal. Like that could be an opportunity to share something about Christ. And it takes money for that opportunity to happen. And yeah. So time. I gotta I gotta be humble in that though, because there was a mom worked as a food prep for a Mexican restaurant who insisted on helping. Okay. And she, her husband, I think they're Buddhist, um, and she was so generous with the chopping she did of the tomatoes and the lettuce, and you could tell she worked at a place like Wawa's or something. Okay. And she, I thought she was just dropping it off. As a matter of fact, I thought all the moms were just dropping stuff, you know, some of them brought like paper plates and they all wanted to help. They were so hungry for community. Hmm. And they all stayed. They all stayed. Cool. And that mom, that brought probably, she spent more time than I did. I probably spent more money with like some of the other things I could just purchase. But she prepped up. She sat in my basement and talked about how she lived in 13 different foster homes. She was raised wow. in the foster care system. And um, I didn't get to like, I built a relationship with her, and I got to share about my faith in Christ, and she was very attentive. Um, but she was, but yet she was so generous. You know, it was like, but her generosity was built in. You know, she wanted the community for her son, and she wanted to have moms get together, and um, so 
So that was multiple fold. I mean, it was sure. very humble. Okay. humbling for me because I was like, in some ways, I felt like she was more into it than I was. Like, I was more like, what in the world? How do we take this on? Why are we doing this? So, with asterisks, the hens is an example of using money to build bridges with the hopeful opportunity to advance the kingdom. Okay, and that can look in lots of different ways for lots of different people, but I think the goal is Jesus saying, "Don't be afraid to put some cash out there for the sake of the kingdom." Right? Is that that a fair summary? Money. That that would work too, Russ. Sure. Value people over the money in your own pocket. Okay. So, any other comments on this parable? Jesus is going to keep talking about that theme. Would somebody read ten through thirteen, please? One who is faithful in a very little is also faithful in much. And one who is dishonest in a very little is also dishonest in much. If then you have not been faithful in the unrighteous wealth, who will entrust to you the true riches? And if you have not been faithful in that which is another's, who will give you that which is your own? No servant can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. So how does Jesus refer to the stuff we are stewards of now? It's not ours. It's not ours. So we're managing what belongs to somebody else. And then he, again, calls it unrighteous wealth again. So what's the contrast? What, what happens if we're faithful with this stuff? And we're entrusted with true riches. Okay. And it's, whose is it then? It's our own. Our own. Okay, so there's double contrast there. Right now we're stewards. Someday we'll get what is rightfully be able to call our own. Right now it's unrighteous mammon or wealth. Then it's true riches, which tells us this stuff isn't true riches. <laughs> right? Is that a fair deduction? This isn't the real thing. This is monopoly money. It's, it's nice while it lasts, but you need to see it bigger like the way Jesus does and not just the way the world does. Why does Jesus say you can't serve two masters? Isn't that kind of black and white? Because they're in conflict with each other. Okay. Can you say more about that? I'm trying to think of the word. Oh, I can't okay. think of the word. That's it. I don't mean to put you on the spot. That just, I just think you're onto something. Yeah. The, no, the, the things that are important to both of those are opposite or, or conflicting or, you know, like mammon and God, they're, they're, they're just not, there's no intersection between them. Okay. With, with the with your heart where your heart should be. Okay. Okay. Just wanna add to that why we can't serve two masters. 
Well, you can't have two full-time jobs. That's just not going to work. Okay. You've got enough time. You've got enough energy. It's no good. It's not possible from a practical level. There was a lawyer that we first met when we came here. He had uh, two different girlfriends at the same time. And uh, at one point he told me, I, now I know why the Bible says not to have two, no one can serve two masters. I thought that was quite an application. <laughs> okay. Besides the logistics of it all, what about the heart? How, about, how much room does a heart have for a supreme love? One. Right? One is always going to come out on top. And, and he says it two different ways, right? If you love one, you'll hate the other. If you are devoted to one, you'll despise the other. So it's, it's not like they're just getting along together in the same heart. Eventually, one is going to come out on top. Either God's on top and money's down here, or money's on top and God's down here, right? But it's not going to be like a tie. We, we can't maintain a tie in our hearts. One or the other is going to prevail. Okay? So, I think it's John Stott that says, American Christians are the first generation in the history of the world who thought, Jesus is wrong on this verse. We really can do it. We really can, have figured out a way to serve God and serve money uh, as our masters, and it's okay, and God's okay with it. <laughs> I just don't think we can do that. Tom? I was just thinking about Matthew 19, <coughs> where Jesus says it's easier for a camel to go through an eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter the kingdom of God. In the previous verse, he says, uh, truly, truly I say to you, it's hard for a rich man to enter the kingdom of heaven. I think this speaks of the, the battle of our fallen flesh. We'll actually come across that when we get to Luke 18, the, the rich young ruler, and why Jesus says what he says. So any other thoughts on what Jesus has to say about money? I Hi. think I was coming at it from the opposite because, you know, we've never struggled with too much money. We've struggled with not having enough money. So in my heart, the idol can be that I can serve money and that I worry about it. Yeah, it's ne the Bible is, is so, wow, what can you say? Um, it's never about amounts. It's always about heart. So you can have a lot of money and not love it, and you can have very little and love it very much. It's about heart. So you know, it's not like, okay, everybody write down the amounts you have, and you know if you're over this amount, oh, you're bad, or if it's under this, don't worry. It's how's your heart? <laughs> no matter what the amounts are, how's your heart? Mark? Um, somebody was talking about uh, the 1%, what the, what's perceived as the super wealthy. 
But if you go worldwide, we are the one percent. Yeah, or at least the two percent. Sure. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. We're, Most of the world survives on, on a dollar or less a day. So we, are, in the world's eyes, we're very well. Mm -hmm. Well, the, the Pharisees had a comment about what Jesus is saying. They don't they particularly agree. And so would somebody read 14? The Pharisees, who were lovers of money, heard all these things, and they ridiculed him. Okay. So, um, ridicule or scoffing means what? Make who look ridiculous? Uh, the uh, people who uh, <coughs> don't want money or don't idolize money. Okay, okay. I was actually thinking ridiculous too, but namely, you're ridiculous, Jesus. <laughs> they're mocking him, right? So they're saying, you can't be serious. <coughs> what a joke. You don't know what you're talking about. Okay, Because they love money. That's the why they're talking that way. They love money. So I'm, clearly Jesus must be wrong. <laughs> it can't be them. It must be Jesus. All right? Um, and what a contrast. Um, do you remember at the transfiguration, um, God says, this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. What's the next sentence? Listen to him. <clears throat> and the Pharisees are, the opposite of listening to Jesus is scoffing at Jesus and saying, he has no idea what he's talking about. So that's, that's a scary heart. Um, and again, it's about love. They love money first. And so a teaching that comes at them from Jesus himself that contradicts and calls them out for love of money instead of repenting, which would be appropriate. It's like, I don't have to listen to you. <laughs> so let's read how Jesus responds to that Reaction, 15 to 18. And he said to them, You are those who justify yourselves in the sight of men, but God knows your hearts. For that which is highly esteemed among men is detestable in the sight of God. The law and the prophets were proclaimed until John. Since that time, the gospel of the kingdom of God has been preached, and everyone is forcing his way into it. But it is easier for, for heaven and earth to pass away than for one stroke of a letter of the law to fall, fail. And 18, did you say? Yes, please. Um, everyone who divorces his wife and marries another commits adultery, and he who marries one who is divorced from a husband commits adultery. Okay. So what, oh, um, let's go to John 12, 43, because I'll give you a hint on the next question. John 12, 43. How about 42 and 43? Nevertheless, many, even of the rulers, believed in him, but because of the Pharisees, they were not confessing him for fear that they would be put out of the synagogue. For they loved the approval of men rather than the approval of God. Okay, so just gave you a hint. What's Jesus' basic point when he comes back at the Pharisees for scoffing at him for what he just said? You care more about what you 
Then what? <laughs> Boom. Good. 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 Both about money, and then he adds another category about marriage. Okay, so just to give you a little background, um, there were two schools of thought in Jesus' day um, among the rabbis about how open the, the question about divorce was. And uh, Hillel um, said it meant that a man could divorce his wife if she spoiled his dinner by putting too much salt on his food, if she went out in public with her head uncovered, if she talked with men in the streets, if she was a brawling woman, which meant her voice could be heard outside the house. And remember, they don't have soundproof windows. This is just like... <laughs> um, she spoke disrespectfully of her husband's parents in his presence, if she was troublesome or quarrelsome. And then a certain rabbi, Akaba said that if he found a woman whom he considered to be more attractive than she. So, in other words, a very loosey-goosey approach to, you can bail out any time for any reason on your spouse. Okay? So that's the audience Jesus is speaking into. Um, like, divorce is no big deal. Just, you know, too much salt on your food. Well, get rid of her. <laughs> Why would you want to keep her around? So, so here's the contrast. Here's Jesus saying, take God's word seriously. Jesus said things like, uh, remember, they were asking, can you get, get out of a marriage for any reason at all? And he said, have you ever read the Bible? <laughs> From the beginning, God said, you know, what he has joined together, let no one put asunder. God puts people together. It's not to be broken. That's God's, what God says. And here's people saying, if you put too much salt on it, you can get out. So it's just a call to say, let's take God and his word seriously about everything, money, marriage, everything, and not care as much about what people say. Because in our culture, you can find anybody to say anything, right? <laughs> so don't get your cues from the culture. Oh, don't worry about money. Don't worry about marriage. Don't worry about... Find out what God says and then follow what God says. Do you agree with that summary? There's a verse in Psalm 119, 128 that says, Therefore I esteem right your word concerning everything. What God says about every subject, we esteem right. Whether it's popular or not, whether it's easy or not, whether it shakes up our value system or not, God's word is the final authority. We submit to that because we have a new heart. Um, we care more about what God says than what anybody else says. So, Comments or questions on that? Bob? One thing that, that uh, has always blown my mind when, is when I hear professed believers say uh, different passages, you know, I think I disagree with Jesus on that. Whoa. <laughs> to me, that's just always been that's, one, yeah, that's one a of the most big flag. <laughs> that's a little scary. Especially if you, if you say you're a Christian. Right. Yeah, and, and I, I haven't heard anybody say Jesus, but I've heard, have heard different people say, I disagree with Paul. Like he's just uh, locked in his own culture and first century, you know, patriarchy, and he just doesn't know what he's talking about. And so we can get around some of the things Paul says about, you know, women 
teaching and exercising authority over man or whatever. Um, so yeah, we again want to put God's word as the highest authority in our lives. Well, I think I've shared before too. Um, Sunday school class, First John, we read First John two three. Uh, if if anyone says I've come to know him and does not keep his commandments, he's a liar and the truth is not in him. And a guy said, I don't agree with that. I said, what? He said, I don't agree with that. I said, well, you're disagreeing with John, the same John that wrote John 3.16, and ultimately you're disagreeing with the Bible. <laughs> you know, God's word. You, you don't have the luxury of saying, I don't agree with that. <laughs> it's, it's what God says. So, yeah, whether it's power or form, whether it's Jesus' words or Paul's words or just writing the scripture, it's, it's all God's spoken word. And so that just, <laughs> if you don't agree, ask God for grace to have your heart agree, <laughs> not try to re, rewrite the Bible. Amen. <laughs> Any other comments or questions? Um, what does verse 16 mean? Corollary in Matthew 11, 12, this, this idea of taking it by force or, or violent men take it by force. What does that mean? That is a great question, Gary. And I've seen very few great attempts at answering it, at least when I did my reading. Um, it, it's my best attempt is um, like if there, if let's say that door was just, um, okay, this is even better. High V in at Southern Hills, the first door is supposed to be like you get to a certain point and it goes zoom. You you step up to it and if you're not ready, you're just gonna bang into a door. <laughs> it it's the sensor is goofed up. So sometimes you have to just lower a shoulder and like <laughs> open the door. <laughs> okay? I've done it. <laughs> Because I forget between times, <laughs> this door's not going to open when I get my nose right there. So, you know, just boom. Okay? So I'm forcing my way into it. I, I'm, I'm serious about getting into that store. And if it takes a little extra oomph to get in, that's fine. And Jesus is saying, here's the kingdom. Here's the kingdom. Everlasting kingdom. And you're going to let a few little... Speed bumps deter you from any. Do whatever it takes. If you have to lower a shoulder or use violence or whatever it takes to get into the kingdom, it's worth it. So that's my understanding. Anybody else want to take a shot at that phrase? I would add that it's a desperation out of weakness, not out of strength. Okay, so talk about that some more. Well, it's, it's recognizing you're written in for heaven and that you don't have merit in yourself. Okay. Um, so it's, uh, it's a coming um, out of weakness, recognizing that you have to be clothed with Christ's righteousness and his blood, um, and, and that you don't have anything, uh, any merit at all. Um, yeah. Okay, so we don't get any points for forcing our way in, maybe is what you're saying. It's like, okay, I, I'm better than other people because I made the effort and they didn't. Either I'm I'm weak, I'm helpless, I've got nothing to bring. Right. The, the sin oh, I need to be Pharisees. rescued from. Okay, and especially Pharisees who are thinking, yeah, I'm chalking up the points. Um, yeah, no merit on our side at all. Okay, thank you. Any other thoughts or questions as we close?
Okay, well, Lord willing, next week we'll look at the rich man and Lazarus. And let's close a bit. Paul, would you lead us? Father God, we thank you uh, for your time today in Sunday school. Uh, we thank you for your word. We pray that you would uh, use it to minister to our hearts. Pray for Pastor as he delivers the message later. Uh, we just pray for open hearts and minds. And we thank you for this time together. It's in Jesus' name. Amen. Mm-hmm.